Did you feel the earthquake on Friday? Friday night, I'm sitting there on my couch watching Sports Center. All of a sudden, boom, the house starts shaking. And I kid you not, uh, if you don't live in Southern California, you don't know what I'm talking about. But we had an earthquake. It wasn't big by California standards. It was like a four and a half, but it was, it was uh, centered right here in the San Gabriel Valley. So we felt it. And, and the house started shaking. And I kid you not, my first thought was, of course it's an earthquake. It's 2020. This is how 2020 ends. Our houses all fall in on top of our heads. That was my thought because it has been a rough year. It, you don't need me to explain that to you. You've been living through this year just like I have. Sometimes it feels like things are never going to get better. Like this is the new reality that we're just going to be living in. And we kind of laugh about it so that we don't cry. But the truth is it's all relative. There are lots of people that are struggling worse than I am. There are a lot of people who are going through, through things that are harder than what you're going through or than what we're going through as a nation and as a society. But still, sometimes it kind of feels like we're running a marathon here. And the whole thing is uphill against the wind in a storm <laughs> and, and we're barefoot and we're running on broken glass and people are shooting at us and they're, you know, all of this stuff is happening while we're trying to run this race. And as I talk to people lately, people are just getting tired. People are just getting uh, worn out with the whole thing. Do you know that when it comes to marathons, there are some people who actually like to run long distances with nobody chasing them. They, they will run long distances. I'm not kidding. There's like a whole category of people who love to run long distances. They're called sociopaths. <laughs> because in my mind, if you're going to run a long distance, your life better be on the line. It will shock you to hear that distance running is not my thing. <laughs> Never has been my thing. I was born with a defective heart. And I didn't even know it until a few years ago. And, and the doctors discovered it and they're like, listen, we gotta do open heart surgery or you're gonna die. You were born with this heart defect and your heart is just wearing out and we've gotta fix it. And I was so thrilled to hear this because finally I had an excuse. I'm like, all of my years as an athlete, the coaches are making us run, and I'm like sucking wind, and I'm the last guy to finish. We're running the stadium steps and all that kind of stuff. And I just thought I was a wimp all this time. I'm so thrilled to know that I have an excuse. An excuse is just a wonderful thing when you fail and you want to be able to explain your failures, isn't it? I don't have endurance because I got a bad heart. Now I get it. But the truth is that for all of us, succeeding in life takes endurance. It takes endurance. You know, this life is not for the faint of heart. We've been looking at the example of Jesus. We've been looking at the character qualities of Jesus' life and, and uh, seeing what things were evident in his life. And one of the evident qualities in Jesus' character that stands out to me above so many others is just this simple issue of endurance. Jesus had incredible endurance. 
In our culture, we tend to lack endurance. In our culture, you know, we are great at starting things. Starting things, yeah, we can start things well. But when it comes to finishing well, that's a different story. How many diets have you started over the years? <laughs> How many times have you joined a health club? How many times have you thought about going back to school or maybe even started and not quite finished? How many times have you looked at a sink full of dishes and said, you know, I'm going to get to those. Now don't get me wrong. The message this morning is not about how we need to be better at finishing things. Some things we don't need to finish. Some things are better if we quit. Some things our lives will be better if we just bury them in the deepest sea, put them in our past and forget they ever happened. There are things in our lives that we don't need to finish. But here's the thing. Certain races are optional and other races are essential, like the race of faith. And once again, Jesus sets an amazing example for us. Take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to the book of Hebrews. Now, Hebrews is way to the back of your Bible. Uh, and I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 12. And if this sounds familiar, it's because we looked at this passage not long ago from a completely different angle as a part of this same series on following Jesus. But we're going to pick it up today in Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. And we're going to look together at verses 1 through 3. So I hope I've given you enough time to get there. Follow along as I read from Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You know, there's this pandemic going around and affecting all of the world today. But you know what? There's an epidemic of weariness and people losing heart. And, and I just want to bring to you today a message from God's word reminding us of the character of Jesus and showing us how that same character can exist in our hearts. I don't want you to lose heart. If you look at the end of verse 1 there, it says that we're to run with endurance. Highlight the word endurance. Circle it. Put a star by it. Endurance. It takes endurance to run the race that has been set before us. And the first thing I want to tell you about finishing well is that it's not easy. So if you think I'm going to stand up here and go, rah, rah, you can do this, it's easy. You're kidding yourself. It's not easy. In fact, when you read this in the Greek, it's really interesting because the writer of Hebrews compares our faith journey to a race. And, and the word race in the Greek is, is the word agon, from which we get our word Agony. It can be agonizing at times to run the race that God has called us to run. 
to finish the race well, not easy. It's really, really hard. It's hard to hold on to your values in a world that people will do anything to get ahead. It's, it's hard to give up temporal pleasures in favor of eternal treasures. It's hard to consistently set a good example for your kids, isn't it, parents? It is hard to work on your marriage after the spark seems to have really gone away. It's hard to finish well. And that's why most people don't finish well. It's hard. People give in to discouragement. People succumb to failure. They, they, they say yes to temptation. It's hard to finish well. Have you ever watched a long-distance race? Uh, you know, like it's the Olympics and it's a 10,000-meter race, uh, a foot race, right? A long-distance foot race. You know what I've noticed? The one who gets out to the best start is very rarely the one who finishes in first place. It's easy to start well and hard to finish well. But Jesus, he ran the whole race. And, and he saved his best work for the end. Now, I want you to think about this. We've talked about this quite a bit, but I want you to think about the cross. Think about the agony of the cross. Think about the difficulty of the cross. Think about all that he had to go through. That, that from Gethsemane, when he's sweating great drops of blood, crying out to the Father, please don't make me go through this, all the way through to the beatings and the scourging and the trials and, and the mockery and the, and the crucifixion. That was right at the end of his race. But it didn't finish there, did it? Because three days later, there was an empty tomb. Right? Three days later, we had a resurrected Christ. Three days later, not only was sin defeated, but death was defeated on our behalf. And just a little while after that, he ascends into heaven victoriously as his followers stand by looking into the sky and watching him go up into heaven. Where the scripture tells us he is seated at the right hand of the Father, receiving all of the glory that is due him as God in heaven. The cross wasn't easy. He didn't feel like going through with it. But Hebrews 12 tells us that he endured the cross. He endured it. In other words, he held on tenaciously. He didn't let go of the vision that his father had for him. He finished his assignment from God. And he said... He could have called down legions of angels to deliver him. He says, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own free will. He did this willingly. He endured the cross and he held on to the end. And of course, he did it to save us. But Hebrews tells us that it's not just to save us. That's not the only reason that he endured the cross to the end. He tells us in this passage that he did it to set an example for us. Go back and look at verse 3. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary 
and lose heart. He did it as an example for us. And it wasn't just the cross that he endured. Don't, don't minimize what he did for us. It wasn't just that he endured the cross. He endured the womb. He left the throne of heaven to enter the womb of Mary. He endured childhood. He endured poverty. He endured having to travel back and forth to Egypt in order to escape death. He, he endured the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees who just kept coming after him. He endured his disciples who were the world's biggest knuckleheads who kept messing everything up. And he hung in there with them and he loved them and he trained them and he taught them. Even though he knew they were going to desert him. He endured throughout his whole life on earth. And in his endurance, Jesus Christ set an example for us to follow. And I just want to highlight a couple of ways that he sets that example. The first is this. Jesus endured temptation. I don't know if you've ever given much thought to this. Do you remember Hebrews 4.15? We talked about this a couple weeks ago. It says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. So he was tempted in every way that human beings are tempted. He faced all the same kinds of temptations that you and I face. In fact, let's look at this real quick. It's in Luke chapter 4. So if you just go back toward the front of the New Testament, it goes Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. I want you to go to Luke chapter 4. And in Luke chapter 4, we're going to pick it up in verse 1. Now, this is right at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. It's about to be launched here. He has not yet um, started his ministry. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Listen to this. Jesus, right after his baptism, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they had ended, he became hungry. I don't know if you've ever thought much about this. If you keep reading the passage, we see these three temptations that Satan gives Jesus and how Jesus resists him with the word of God. But have you noticed what Luke says there? It says that he wandered around in the wilderness, not eating, for 40 days being tempted. 40 days of constant temptation. We get these little glimpses of these offers that Satan made to him. But if you, if you boil it all down, all the temptation, 40 days worth of enduring that temptation and never giving in, if you boil it all down, the examples we're given of those temptations is that basically he was being tempted to take a shortcut. Basically, he was being tempted to give up on his mission from God skip the cross and take a shortcut. What did Satan say to him? If you bow down and worship me, I will give you all authority over this world, which is Jesus's to give anyway, but it had been temporarily given over to Satan. He, he's saying you can skip the hard part, you can skip the suffering, you can skip the humiliation, you can skip the pain, you can skip the cross, and you can still rule the world. And he endured that temptation. We all know what it's like to be tempted to take the easy way out. We, we all know what it's like to be tempted to cheat on that test. To be tempted 
to take what you want even when you haven't earned it. To, to manipulate people and use them for your own purposes. We all know what it's like to be tempted that way. We know what it's like to be tempted to take shortcuts with your integrity. You know, a, a little lie here, a little misleading there. We know what it's like to be tempted to take shortcuts in your marriage and not do the work that it takes to have a great relationship, to make it about yourself and not about your spouse and the glory of God. We, we all know what it's like to be tempted in our sexuality. We know what it's like to be tempted with regard to our finances. We know what it's like to be tempted to take a shortcut in our career and, and try to somehow pull people down as we climb up the ladder of success and build our careers on the backs of other people. We all know what it's like to be tempted to take shortcuts. But Jesus endured all of the temptation that he faced. And because he did, you can too. Because Jesus, our great high priest, because Jesus, our example, because Jesus, our Lord and our leader, has shown us how we can resist temptation and endure to the end in spite of the temptation. I just want to speak to some of you who, you know, there might be some of you right now who are going, yeah, that's, uh, I'm not dealing with much temptation. There might be others who are like, oh my gosh, he's talking to me. He's been watching. He knows what's in my heart. I don't know what's in your heart, but God does. And maybe you're facing extreme temptation right now. I just want to encourage you, my brother. I want to encourage you, my sister. Hang on. Hold on. You don't have to give in to the temptation. The scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians 10 that, that everyone gets tempted, but that God always gives with every temptation a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Another thing Jesus endured for us is good old-fashioned shame. Hebrews 12.2 says that he endured the cross, and then highlight this, despising the shame. Jesus endured the cross in spite of the terrible shame. He hated the shame. He despised the shame. There was no place in his heart for shame. He never knew shame before the moment of the cross. When we think of the horrors of the cross, what do we think about? We think about all of the blood and the beatings and the, and the nails through his body. We think about, uh, about the suffering and all of that, the pain. But you know, isn't it interesting that the author of Hebrews points out that the thing that Jesus despised about the cross was the shame. Just the shame. And that's another thing that you and I know a thing or two about, isn't it? Shame. We hate to be humiliated. <laughs> we hate to be embarrassed. We absolutely hate it when we're disgraced. Every time I talk about shame in a, in a sermon or Bible study or counseling set situation or something, and I think, how can I illustrate the power of shame? 
the, the same story always comes to my mind first. My wife Christy and I, we were poor newlyweds. We had been married about a year or so, uh, and, and we were broke. I know there are levels of broke. We, we had a roof over our head, and we had some food in the cupboard and all that. I'm not saying that we were destitute. What I'm saying is we had no extra money, none. And, and, and Christy was working for a company, and they were doing a company function, like a weekend thing, uh, meetings in Las Vegas. And so what they did was they said, um, hey, you can bring your spouse after the meetings end on Friday. You can have your spouse meet you in Vegas. We'll pay for the room for the whole weekend. And you could spend the weekend in Vegas, a little perk for her job. The problem was we didn't have any money to go to Las Vegas. And, and so we cashed in cans and, and we rolled quarters and we just got together as much money as we could. And I'm not kidding. We went to Vegas on a budget and we had $40 each to spend for a weekend in Las Vegas. And, and that was our gambling money. We were going to gamble $40 each and maybe we'll even make some money on this deal, right? By the way, if you think you're going to Vegas to make money, I suggest you go somewhere else in your vacation. Anyway, I arrive while her meetings are still going on. She's there already. I come in later in the afternoon. Her meetings are still going on. I've got a couple hours to kill before I actually meet up with my wife. So what do I do? I go to the tables. And in about five minutes, I lose 20 bucks of my 40. Well, that wasn't good. I took a little walk around and I, I said, man, I got to figure out how to get that back. So I went back to the tables again, and in another five minutes, I lost the rest of my 40 bucks. Now, I hadn't even met with my wife yet. We had a whole weekend, and all of my money was spent. That's an impossible situation. I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to spend a weekend in Vegas without any money. So I did the intelligent thing, right? I gambled with her money. I took her 40 bucks, and I invested it in the tables. And guess what happened? I lost. I know, shocker, right? I lost all $80. Our whole money for the weekend was gone before I even met up with her. About a half an hour later, she comes and finds me. She's all excited, a hug and a kiss. Isn't it great? To, we have a great weekend ahead of us. And then she looks in my eyes and goes, what's wrong? And I had to look my wife in the eye and explain to her what I had just done. And I never want to see that look on her face again. She was so disappointed in me. I couldn't even look her in the eye. I said, well, what do you want to do? And she said, let's go home. I go, yeah, but we have a free room. She goes, it doesn't matter. We don't have any money to spend. Let's go home. And so we got in the car. And I made the longest drive of my life. While my wife sat quietly staring ahead in the seat next to me. And then she made this suggestion. Well, since we have a free weekend, why don't we go to my parents' house? <laughs> and I said, well, they're going to ask why we're not in Vegas. And she goes, I know. <laughs> and I just remember the shame that I felt in my, uh, in my wife's presence and the shame I felt in the presence of my in-laws because I had proven a weakness in my own character. Guys, I don't know what your shame stories are. But the thing about my shame stories is I always deserve the shame. Jesus did not deserve 
the shame of the cross. He never sinned. Never transgressed the law. Never failed in any way. And yet he endured more shame and more humiliation than any of us could ever imagine. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that Jesus who knew no sin became sin on our behalf when he went to the cross that day. Just imagine the shame of that. The, the, the whole picture of the cross, all of the people that are around that are mocking and, and, sh and shaming him as he hangs naked and bleeding before the eyes of everyone, including his own mother. And you would think that, that being seen that way by your mother would be the ultimate in shame, but it wasn't. You know what was the ultimate in shame for Jesus? Being seen that way by his father. His heavenly father looked out upon him and finally turned his face away as the shame and the guilt of all of mankind's sin was poured out on Jesus. And Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me as his father turned his face away? Just imagine the shame of that. The guilt and the shame of every liar, every cheater, every thief, every child molester, every murderer, every rapist, everyone who ever sinned, all of it poured out on him. And the way the writer of Hebrews describes what he despised about it was the shame. And you know what? He endured the shame anyway. And he did it for the glory of the Father. And he did it out of love for us. But how did he do it? Verse 2 tells us, he did it for the joy set before him. It was an act of faith to endure all of that suffering because he knew what came next. He knew he was going to receive the accolades and the pleasure of his father. He knew that he was going to be seated at the right hand of the father on the throne of heaven. He knew that he was going to receive the glory of all of the angels and everyone in heaven worshiping and honoring him for what he had done. He knew that all of our worship would follow because we were saved and set free and filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's the only way you and I are going to be able to endure what we have to endure. The hardest moments of our lives. We have to remember that this life is not all there is. This life is like a mere breath that floats away into the air. But eternity? Eternity is forever. And the favor of God is better than anything this world has to offer. Listen, I know you're facing some hard times right now. We all are. And I know that some of you are suffering in ways that I can't even imagine. And it feels like maybe that suffering will never end. But I want to encourage you, my friends. Fix your eyes upon Jesus. He is the author of your faith. That is, he is the one who started the whole thing. He is the perfecter or the finisher of your faith. He's the one that will complete it. He's the source of the endurance. This is not about you pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. This is about Jesus holding you. This is about you enduring even to the end. So hang in there. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. 
Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. And remember the truth found in Romans 5. Tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character. And proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Sometimes it feels like the race is uphill. But let's not forget that the prize goes not to the one who begins the race, but the prize goes to the one who wins the race. And the only way you can win the race is to endure to the end. You've got to finish the race. Paul understood this really well. And that's why he wrote in Philippians these words. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus. So hold on, my friends. Keep going. Stay focused on Jesus and never forget there is a crown that awaits those who endure. It's a long race. I'll see you at the finish line. Oh, what a celebration we're going to have. Father, we just want to say thank you. We want to say thank you that the endurance that is required of us is provided by you. That it's not about our strength or our greatness or our willingness. It's about your Holy Spirit who you have given freely to us. And so, Father, I want to pray for my weary brothers and sisters. I want to pray for those who are struggling in the uphill climb. I want to pray, God, for you to just infuse each one of them with a, with a heart of hope, with true enthusiasm, that their proven character would be shown in a time like this. Lord, our whole world is struggling. Some of us as individuals are struggling in mighty ways. Some of our families are going through really hard times. Lord, you know every need. Won't you please undergird us by the power of your spirit that we might be able to endure, that we might finish the race, that we might receive the crown. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.